Hi, I'm George Bodarki. Cityscape won't be heard this week, so we can bring you a special presentation. It's part of WFUV's Strike Accord campaign focused on coping with loss. The following is a panel discussion that was produced at the public access network BronxNet. Cityscape will return next week at this time. We'll see you then. Hello, my name is George Bodarki. I'm the news director of NPR affiliate station WFUV, located on the Rose Hill campus of Fordham University here in the Bronx. Each quarter, WFUV works to raise awareness of a particular issue through our Strike Accord campaign. Past campaigns have focused on everything from family caregivers to at-risk youth to the healing power of the arts. We're very pleased to be teaming up with BronxNet for our latest campaign on coping with loss. Coping with the loss of someone or something you love can be one of life's biggest challenges. Often the pain of loss can feel overwhelming. You can be hit with a wave of unexpected emotions, from shock and anger to guilt and disbelief. In this next half hour, we'll get a better understanding of the grieving process and learn how to best confront painful emotions. Our guests today are Anne Tramontana Vino. She's the executive director of Hope After Loss, based in Connecticut. The organization helps people through the loss of a pregnancy or an infant. Hello. Hello. And Deborah Oster Pinnell, a resident of the Bronx, she's here representing A Caring Hand, which offers a variety of programs to help grieving children and families. Deborah, hello to you. Hi, George. Let's start with you, Deborah. What brought you to A Caring Hand? So in 2009, um, my husband passed away. Um, he'd been ill for, well, his whole life. He had a chronic illness, um, sickle cell disease. And we'd been married for many, many years. And at the time that he died, we had a six-and-a-half-year-old son. And so after he passed away, it was actually my sister who told me about the organization called The Caring Hand, which offered uh, free support services to families, basically families with children. So it was an organization geared towards kids who've lost a loved one and their guardians. And so I knew that my son was really traumatized and so I knew that he would need some support and so we joined up and began attending a 10-week group, a weekly group uh, sessions. What was your son's response to his dad's death? What did you see? Well, it was disbelief at first. Um, you know, as I said, he was young and, um, you know, my husband, uh, we, we'd been together for about 22 years. Um, Sickle cell is a chronic illness, so he was sick his whole life, and over the course of um, time, it got worse and worse. By the time our son was born, he was at home, um, legally disabled, but he was a very energetic father, stay-at-home dad and house husband. <laughs> and um, so my son, although he knew that dad got tired a lot, um, my husband, through sheer force of will, didn't get hospitalized at all during the time that he was parenting. And so during that final week that he got sick, it was, you know, leading up to his death, um, it was kind of unusual. And then when he went to the hospital and didn't come back, it was a real shock to Josiah because his last words were, you know, see you soon. Mm -hmm. And so it was, he didn't expect it. So that was really his first response was, are you sure? So... We'll talk more about how a caring hand helped you and your son through yes. this very difficult time. But Thank you. And as we said, hope after loss helps people through the loss of a pregnancy or an infant. I would imagine that's somewhat of a taboo subject. Yes, it's very much a taboo subject, and certainly that's what we recognize and that we want people to be aware 
that people do um, lose pregnancies and they lose infants, um, and they have since t uh, time has begun, and yet people do not want to really talk about it. Um, they sort of want to just go on, or if someone you know, loses a child, uh, it's like, well, just have another, um, or um, families don't really want to necessarily talk about it, and yet the person who's had that loss does want to be able to talk about that and be, wants to be able to really honor um, the child that they, that they have and, or had. How do you work with people? What's your approach to working with people who've lost an infant or a pregnancy? Well, we have um, several programs that we offer, and one of which is peer-to-peer. -peer. So that means that um, someone who's had a loss has an opportunity to talk to somebody who has had that experience. So we do the um, support group approach, um, and we also have one-on-one -on -one support, so we will be able to match someone with someone who has had that loss as well. And we also have different types of groups. So right now we have um, the, more of the first-time loss, and then we also have a subsequent pregnancy loss. So someone who um, is either pregnant at the time and wants to join a group and talk about what this pregnancy means to them. Um, and then we don't mix the two with the subsequent pregnancy because a lot of people do not want to be necessarily in the same room with someone who's pregnant because they're dealing with their own grief at that point in time. We also offer a burial and cremation financial assistance to those who cannot afford it. It's a minimal amount. Um, those expenses are really very high for someone who is not expecting to have to do that. They're expecting to you know, buy di diapers and, and clothes and toys and, and fun things, and then they have to be faced with that expense. Um, so we help them out in, in any way that we possibly can right now. And we do a lot of education and outreach to our hospitals, to doctor's offices, to the academia, um, to those who are going through medical school or nursing school, or undergrads in a bereavement class. So we really try and get the word out as best we possibly can. You mentioned the peer-to-peer -peer program. I'm sure yes. it's so critically important for people simply to know that they're not the only ones who feel this way. Absolutely. Yeah, I just spoke with someone who, on the phone, and she was looking for a support group, and um, she said, well, um, I'm having a difficult time because I should be over it by now. Um, it can only happen three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, trust me, um, for those of us who deal with grief, it's never really over with. It shifts, it changes, it takes on a different face sometimes, but it's always now part of our lives, and we may be forever changed by it, but not necessarily in a negative way. Mm -hmm. Deborah, did you have a timetable set? Oh, I'll be moving on <laughs> after a few weeks. I'll feel better after a few weeks. No, I did not. Although I'll say my situation's a little bit unique, I think, because I like to say that I kind of evolved into my widowhood mm -hmm. <laughs> because I knew my husband was sick mm -hmm. and I saw him getting more and more ill over the years. and. I knew because we used to do a lot of advocacy work in the sickle cell community, so I kind of understood the disease and the way it worked. Um, and I kind of saw it happening, and when he started getting diagnosed with certain secondary conditions, um, it started to dawn on me that I was going to lose him. So in a way, I had time to prepare. Mm -hmm. But that being said, 
it's still uh, when you even if you're prepared like you know people who have loved ones dying of cancer or some other protracted illness you get time you know what's coming but when it happens it's still so final um, there's still a shock no question about yeah. that even though you know it's coming yeah because it's just different mm -hmm. and it's that silence I think that really kind of hits and um, and we were talking about this before grief is so weird because there really is no timetable and mm -hmm. you think you're over it but then you could be walking in the grocery store mm -hmm. or something and you find you just get hit by overwhelming waves of grief and I can say for my son it's that's been a lot of it for him because mm -hmm. as he's gotten older in some ways it's gotten worse because he's hitting different milestones and his dad's not there mm -hmm. and then he gets to another place and his dad's still not there so I think it's that and still not there mm -hmm. that kind of accumulates and it becomes in some ways more painful yeah that being said what have you learned about how children respond to loss compared to how adults respond to loss well, I think the thing that you were saying about um, feeling like you're not the only one is really important. I, f I think kids, when they are around other kids who've lost somebody, it's really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, I think they just don't like to feel stigmatized by it because it can feel really scary to have those feelings. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, you're at school, they're doing Mother's Day celebrations or Father's Day celebrations, or you're out in the playground and you see a kid with their dad, you know. Mm -hmm. I think. So I think just being able to know that you're not the only one is important. The other thing is kids are so resilient. I mean, it's amazing to me how resilient they are. Mm -hmm. um, I've never seen my son do anything that remotely resembles, oh, I can't go on, mm -hmm. you know, whereas I've had my moments like that, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, we were talking about pity parties, you know. I, I don't think, at least in my experience, I haven't seen my son do that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think kids are pretty resilient in that regard. And I'm, I would imagine that you encounter families, uh, I know you're dealing with adults certainly, mm -hmm. but I'm sure that there are would-be siblings. They would have had a brother or a sister and then they're faced with that loss as well. Yes, uh, very interesting that you bring this up because we have um, one individual, when we did do our outreach we went into a bereavement class in undergraduate school and um, she really was taken with us when we did the presentation and contacted us and disclosed to us that she had lost um, a sister when she was younger and that it really affected her. Um, and then since then, we have a, uh, a walk to remember. So we remember all of our babies annually and um, it's a very big event and she volunteered to be one of the speakers for that and she found it very helpful. And then we also have a winter remembrance. So this past December, she also was our speaker at the winter remembrance, and she brought her family, her mom and her dad, and now she has a, a younger sister mm -hmm. as well. And she, her mom was talking to me about how this really affected her and how mom, who went through the loss, was thinking, you know, you know, it wasn't that, you know, or I didn't want to involve her in any of that, and yet she really needed a lot of attention at that point in time, and she really does miss the sister that she couldn't have, and and always does something to be able to remember her. So this is part of her life now. It's not going to go away. As we mentioned, grief comes with a whole wide variety of emotions, yes. and. 
everyone experiences it differently, right? Someone might have shock initially. Someone might have anger mm -hmm. initially. I'm mad. Yes. And anger is sometimes something, I mean, you have to go through this if you think about the stages of grief, but it's to in what degree. And then what you do with your anger um, and then how you turn that anger into something that is more hopeful. Yeah. How um, do you do it? It it takes it takes your understanding that it's okay to be angry, but it's it's okay to be angry in ways that it's not going to be harmful to yourself or to other people. And then once you recognize it, you can start understanding that what you're doing is a normal reaction to something that was extremely traumatic to you. And then working through those feelings, not to stifle the feelings, not to go ahead and swallow what you feel, but go ahead and feel them mm -hmm. in an appropriate way so that you can you know, go through the day and, and know that there was something today that I did that was really nice. I either did it for myself or I did it for somebody else, and I had a good day because of that. Deborah, what emotions did you work through when you lost your husband? How wide-ranging were they over time? They were pretty wide-ranging, actually. I, I actually experienced a lot of anger, too. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with just being left with so much, you know, and having gone through so much as a care partner for so many years, and then feeling like, okay, so I did all that, and then you just die and leave me? Now what am I supposed to do? So angry you know, at him for leaving you, would you say? Bit, yeah, or just angry at the situation, angry at the gods, mm -hmm. you know, just angry at life. But um, one of the things that I found being involved in a support group was that, you know, and maybe this is a little different than your group because we had so many different circumstances of death that were brought to the table in these groups. So I met um, people who had lost their spouses to sudden things like heart attacks mm -hmm. or accidents, car accidents or violent crimes, mm -hmm. things that where they just had no time to prepare. And the, that to me felt like, oh my gosh, how are they dealing with that? Mm -hmm. And um, so I, could, I, I felt like their anger was different. Mm -hmm. Some, and I remember even situations where there was medical malfeasance or something, mm -hmm. you know, somebody was not handled properly in the hospital and they died of unexpected complications that could have been prevented, let's say. Um, so sort of seeing, there was something about being in a group with a bunch of different people and seeing all the different possibilities made me in some ways feel like, well, my situation's not that bad compared to what that person went through. And I heard that from people all around. You know, people saying, well, I'm, I know what my situation is, but that, oh my gosh, I'm glad I didn't have to go through that. So there's something about being able to channel your, your feelings into compassion for other people that I thought was really helpful as well. Now, how do the programs work at A Caring Kind? Are you and your son going together? Do you go separately, a combination of programming? Right. So at A Caring Hand, the way it works is we all come together as a group, and everybody has pizza, <laughs> which is so fun. And then they split up into different groups. So the adults go in one group, and then the kids divide up into different age groups. So they have, like, the littles and then the, you know, the adolescents and the teenage, the teens. And they split up into different groups, and they have their session together. Um, and we all kind of find our fellowship within our, within our group. So the way it works is there's a 10-week there's a 10-week session that you attend at first. Um, 
And then after you've gone through that, then there's a once a month drop-in session. Mm -hmm. That happens only during the school year because they typically, in all the years that we've been involved with them, they've always had their meetings at um, public school buildings. So they operate, you know, after hours, but during the schools, when school is in session. So they work around school holidays and summer breaks and things like that. Let me ask you this question. Do you grieve in front of your child or do you go to your bedroom and close the door because you don't want to you don't want him to see you crying and being upset? That's a good question. I would say mostly we're pretty open with our grief. Um, I I feel like one of the things that has been really strengthened with my son and I has been our communication. Um, In some ways it's been sort of me and him as a team. Um, Now obviously, you know, there's the need to keep the parent-child roles clear and that's a danger for any single parent, especially a single mom with a boy child um but barring any confusion on that let's just assume we've got that in place which we don't always but we try (laughs) um yeah i think sharing is good i i find it helpful because i want my son to know that it's okay to show emotion and i try to model that behavior for him um are there times when i think it's important for me to keep my grief to myself yeah, if I'm feeling like I just can't handle it and I'm really having like one of those total emotional collapses, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't necessarily want to bring him through that because he's relying on me for strength. Mm-hmm. And if he sees that mom is kind of losing it, I think he would become scared. Mm-hmm. Less now, I mean, he's almost 14 now, so I think we can be a little bit more upfront with each other. But when he was younger, yeah. But mm-hmm. I did, tr- I mean, I never stopped myself from crying because we're both sad, you know, and we would share in the sadness. And, um, you know, it's hard, I think, especially for boys, to show emotion, and you have to s- show them that it's okay. You can't just tell them. You have to show them. And I would think that the loss of a pregnancy or the loss of an infant can put enormous strain on a relationship between couples. It does, and it's very interesting that, you know, Deb just mentioned that her m- male uh, child uh, grieves differently, and that's true of all males. They they grieve very differently. Um, they don't necessarily want to go to a support group. They don't want necessarily to um, dwell on things all day long, um, and that's why we're really looking at trying to get a group that would be um, solely for men, so that they can have it facilitated by a man, um, and then they can work through that themselves. Um, Another interesting thing um, happened this week was that someone disclosed to me that she was having a difficult time in her marriage um, because he's just not grieving like I grieve, like he's like doing off doing something else. Um, and basically, women like to talk, and they just want the man to listen. And the man is saying, well, why do you have to keep talking about this? And it just does put a strain on the relationship. And it also puts a strain on the idea of you know, having a child. And oftentimes, women think that they've done something wrong. And I think they're wondering if their partner has, isn't blaming them for the fact that they've lost a pregnancy or they lost an infant. So there's a lot of questioning going on, like why did this happen? Did I do something? Is it my fault? Um, And that may not be the case for their partner thinking this. So 
Yes, a lot of strain on the relationships, but then again, it can also make relationships stronger on the other end. Um, so it just goes both ways. When do you start to move on? Say you have a room set up for your new, your newborn baby you're waiting, or your infant passes and you had the room, obviously, for that child. There's that reminder right there behind that door every single day. How do you deal with that? Yeah, when do you deal is. with it? Yeah, well, um, some people, you know, downsize that room to something that they can make more manageable for themselves, perhaps a memory box. So they've now gotten to being able to put things in a special spot so that they can take it out when they want to and go through the things. Um, some people feel that, well, my child couldn't use this, maybe somebody else can, or they'll they'll keep it in hopes that another child will be able to use this that they may have um, coming in the future. Um, and some people don't. Some people just don't ever get rid of anything. They they that is their way of dealing with it. That's their way of coping. And it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing. So no right or wrong. There is there. really no right or wrong mm -hmm. in how things happen or why they happen. But as I said, in, in time things you understand that, well, I think it's time now that I pack it up or that I, you know, do this for somebody else. Only the person who's gone through this can know when that time is right. Mm -hmm. And not forcing yourself to do this too fast is very important. Mm -hmm. There's nobody saying that you have to do this, you know, when you come home from the hospital. It, there's no one telling you that you have to do this you know, on the anniversary date um, of either a birth or, or a death. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do anything. Deborah, was that a challenge for you of when to look at your husband's belongings and decide, what do I do? <laughs> well, my husband was a collector. That was one of the reasons I was so mad, because he left me with so much stuff, <laughs> literally. I mean, just a lot of stuff. So I feel like I had to go through a lot to get through the this, this stuff physically. Um, you know, there's a there's like there's this cycle of emotions that you go through, and um, I don't feel like there was any kind of timetable that I had to um, adhere to, but I did feel like at a certain point, it's incumbent upon me to sort of take the emotions and do something with them. I didn't feel comfortable sitting in them for that long. It just felt too disempowering to just sit and feel sad that much. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, it was really important to be able to, you know, like I said, be you know, talk to other people, mm -hmm. maybe you know, help other people, um, take action in some ways. I mean, even engaging in conversations like this in the hopes that somebody will benefit from it, to me, feels like a giving back. Um, you know, I, my son and I have done some work with a caring hand over the years to help bring light to what that organization is doing. Um, and, you know, it's a, just to say that their way of working, especially with kids, is kind of special because they don't just have the kids sitting around talking about their loss. It's, it's a part of what they do, but so much of it is just giving the kids an opportunity to be kids mm -hmm. with other kids who've experienced a loss who may feel like they can't just do that anymore. So, and then there have been some, you know, there are some bereavement camps that my son has gone to where he's gone, you know, for like a good weekend. and 
again, just being around other kids where they do fun things. They'll do support and, you know, healing circles and things like that. But just that opportunity to be around other people, um, I think is really helpful. I mean, I, I think I still struggle with that a little bit. Not, maybe struggle's not the right word, but I, I like to be able to talk about my experience of losing somebody because it's a part of who I am. Mm -hmm. But I try not to do it in a way that says, oh, poor me, feel sorry for me, because I don't really feel like a victim but I do feel like my feelings are real and they need to be acknowledged. So there's something about just the sharing of them and the sharing of the stories, I think, to me, is really important. How important is it to you to make sure that you're leaving your son, you're making sure that your son has the memories that he wasn't able to necessarily build with his dad because he was only uh, six or so years old, right. uh, making sure that he knows the legacy that his dad left? Well, we, we talk about his dad all the time. And he actually, because he had such a concentrated experience with his dad, he does have a lot of really good memories. But they are starting to fade because he's getting older. So I actually, um, because I work in the arts and I do a lot of recording and um, writing about things and taping and things, so I actually have a lot of video and stuff that I'll be pulling out of the archives <laughs> at you know when the time is right. So I think that we have a lot of documentation that we can... I'll, I'll have a lot of documentation that I can share with him that I, that I plan to make sure he has. Plus, we still have a lot of stuff that my husband collected that I haven't gotten rid of because I think my son might want it at some point. We have a couple of minutes mm -hmm. left, and I want to ask both of you to help me and help others understand how do you talk with people who are who, people who are dealing with a loss. We often struggle with the right things to say. Mm -hmm. I, are there right things to say? Are there wrong things to say when we are, um, you know, faced with someone who, is, who has just suffered a loss? There are. There, there definitely are right things to say and wrong things to say. And um, what you really want to do is you want to be able to recognize that, that they're where they're at and not necessarily say, oh, you know, you'll have another baby. Don't worry about it. Or it's, you know, it's God's way of whatever. I mean, there are just some things that just at that moment people don't want to hear. Um, and it's also good if you've had the experience of losing um, so that you can really relate. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually do have that experience. Uh, I to share Deb's um, journey, which is I do have a husband that, um, that passed. Um, and when I think about somebody on the other end of the phone or somebody who's in a support group saying, you know, well, I don't understand why I'm acting this way, I, I, I can relate to that and I can say, it's okay. It's, it's sort of, it's what you go through when you lose somebody. Um, and you're not going crazy. Yeah, I feel like I'm going crazy. And it's like, no, trust me, you're not really going insane. Um, and you may feel crazy today, but you probably won't feel as much of the craziness tomorrow. Um, and it's very interesting when I have a conversation with someone and they start out, and their tone of voice is very small, and it's very, I can hardly hear them on the other end of the phone, and and then I'm, they're asking one question, and I'm like, oh, I have to ask a lot of questions to get to, you know, the circumstances. And then by the time we're done, 
the f the voice lifts up and it's like thank you so much for for talking to me and you know I give them the opportunity to be involved not just to come to a support group mm -hmm. you can volunteer with our remembrance activities you can if you have a skill you can you know send help us send out a card for someone um, we make blankets for those who have subsequent pregnancies and they're handmade blankets and we give those to people so there are a lot of ways to sort of get yourself busy so that you heal and you're not always thinking about the loss. Deborah, we're just out of time, so one right thing to say to someone, putting in the spot there. Um, I think just to say whatever, wherever you're at is okay and, I, and, I, and I'm here for you and I see you. I think just to be recognized and to not feel invisible is a really important thing. Great, a great note to end yeah. on. That's all the time we have for this special collaboration between public radio station WFUV and BronxNet focusing on coping with loss. I want to thank our guests, Anne Tramontana Vino and Deborah Osterpinel. Thank you so much. Thank you. For more information about the programs they're involved with or to simply find out more about WFUV's Strike Accord campaign, visit WFUV.org slash Strike Accord. I'm George Bodarki. Thanks so much for being with us. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here. <laughs>